Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, welcome to Steel Wars. I'm comedian Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars. And welcome to part two of our New York Comic Con coverage. If you missed part one, go back in your feed. Make sure you didn't miss what is being hailed as quite a good interview with the Hasbro Star Wars team. It's quick, but I think it's insightful and some tough, rarely heard questions were raised. So check that out. What we've got here, I am not really that involved in, but I'm sure you'll find it fascinating. It is the Star Wars Writers' Roundtable panel at the BookCon section of the New York Comic Con. Your panelists will be Kieran Gillian, who did the Darth Vader comic, E.K. Johnston, who just released the Ahsoka book, James Lucino, who is writing Rogue One Catalyst, and of course, previously did books like Tarkin, uh, Charles Soule, who did the Poe Dameron book, or comic book, book, that's how the comic people talk, Chuck Windig, of course, who did Aftermath, and the Force Awakens Marvel adaption, Star Wars author legend Timothy Zahn, who is writing the upcoming Thrawn novel, and of course did the Thrawn trilogy back in the 90s, and it's all moderated by Jennifer Heddle, who is the editor at Lucas. Film. A huge shout out to Maz from Disney Publishing, who got us access to the audio feed, giving you a crispy clear version of all the chat that went down. If you're new to the Steel Wars podcast and you are interested in lighthearted but passionate Star Wars interviews with Star Wars cast and crew, novelists, comic artists, and super fans, please subscribe. We are on iTunes. We are in the Google Play Store. You can get us on steelwars.com, makingstarwars.net, or if you have an iPhone or iPad, we have a free app in the iTunes store. And subscribe quick, because in the next couple of hours, we will have the Megapod, which is a very out-of-control, late-night New York Comic Con podcast, joining forces with the Star Wars Underworld and the Rogue One podcast for winners. And following that, very soon will be the Rogue One trailer reaction with myself and Geek Bomb's Maud Garrett watching the Rogue One trailer for the first time while we podcast and then breaking it down with all our initial thoughts. 
And then this weekend, we will have the Steel Wars live call-in show where you can call in and give your views on the Rogue One trailer. It is all done through Blog Talk Radio. You can get the link details on SteelWars.com. My guest will be Jason Ward of MakingStarWars.net. And you can Skype or call in, converse with us. It's like Talkback Radio, and we're going to be talking Rogue One trailer breakdown. If you're on the West Coast of America, it will be 6 p.m. Friday night. East Coast, it's 9 p.m. And if you're in Australia, it will be at midday because you guys are now in daylight savings time. You can call or Skype in and it's super fun. All details are on SteelWars.com. Now, let's go to that panel. So what we're going to do is a, is a little different uh, than our typical panel. You know, sometimes we've got uh, artists up here. Hey, there's a throne right there, right on. Um, what we're doing uh, today is, is going to have just a, a, a conversation, a writer's roundtable about Star Wars, about the craft of writing, about you know, what it means to be a Star Wars author working in, the, in a galaxy far, far away. So I'm going to turn it over to Ms. Heddle to, uh, to lead the conversation and uh, take it from there. Hello, Testa. Oh. Sorry. Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming. We're so excited to see so many of you here. Yay. Um, so I kind of wanted to kick it off with um, sort of a more uh, general uh, writing question. Um, I was kind of curious to know who or what are your biggest influences as a writer, and perhaps or perhaps not related to that, who you're reading right now that you're really excited about. Does anyone want to start? We can start with Tim. Start with Tim. Um, my science fiction influences, I think, as I was growing up or as I began to write, were Larry Niven, Theodore Sturgeon, uh, Keith Lawmer, and the thriller writer Alistair McLean. Those are the ones I tried to emulate when I was first starting out. Um, what I'm reading right now is a biography of Clausewitz. Uh, somebody suggested Thrawn seems similar, so I thought, I don't know that much about this guy. I should find out. Uh, I think it's fair to say that some of my science in, uh, fiction influences come from... <laughs> I, I don't... I, I think that's perfectly reasonable. Um, and currently, in terms of science fiction, what I'm reading, which is uh, amazing and continues to be amazing, and then is also on TV, is The Expanse. Uh, such a great show. Uh, James S.A. Corey is knocking it out of the park. And they, they wrote a great Star Wars book called Honor Among Thieves, if you're a James S.A. Corey fan. That's true. Um... My, I would say two substantial influences on my writing style novel or prose writers would be Neil Stevenson uh, and China Mieville, who are, are really very different, um, but they're both phenomenal, phenomenal writers. Uh, Neil is a very technical kind of locked-in guy, I think, who really gets all the details right, whereas China does whatever the hell he seems to want. And, and yet they both are really, really uh, incredible. You know, they really just pull it off. It's great. As far as what I'm reading right now, uh, on my my e-reader. I'm literally halfway through Life Debt, so it seems like we're all sort of nodding to our right, which is a, which is a great read. Um, 
And then the next thing I have queued up after that is a uh, there's an oral history of Chernobyl, which I'm sure is going to be really uplifting, and I really can't wait to dive into. I think uh, I have to credit Mad Magazine um, as, as the most influential for me. And um, for mainstream writers, really, Elmore Leonard and uh, Thomas Pynchon, not that they've really influenced my writing style, but I just enjoy reading them. Um, I'm reading now about safaris uh, that were, were taking place in uh, Kenya in the 1920s and 1930s because I just came back from a trip and I've gotten really interested in African history. Um, I started reading Anne McCaffrey and Tamara Pierce and they're probably my, big, my biggest influences. Um, and honestly, I couldn't even name the book I'm reading right now, although I am reading like four, which is probably the problem. Oh, I hate this question. <laughs> uh, okay, hitting my 12, 13 year old, just sort of raiding the public library. Um, and exactly showing my age, weirdly, because they both just come out at the same time. Like Ian M. Banks, the British science fiction writer, who was an astounding influence on me in terms of horror and violence and really awful people. Um, and on totally on the other side, Terry Pratchett, so I discovered at the exactly at the same time who kept me human. Um, so, yeah. Um, and also, uh, related to writing in general, um, really curious about how each of you works. You know, every writer has their different... Drill. Some writers get up first thing in the morning every single day and write for an hour. You know, some writers are a little more freeform about it, and you know, some people sit at a desk. Some people have their own little space. I'm, I'm always curious to know, and I'm sure others are as well, um, how you work. So maybe we can start at the other end this time with Kieran. Come back. I'm a big fan of procrastination and fear. You know, um, <laughs> if, if you can sort of mix them together, eventually you get words. Um, I generally try to write five pages of comics every day minimum. And I do that in the morning, and then the rest of the day is everything else. That's the plan, but plans tend to collapse. (laughs) Of course. Um, I tend to think about a book for a couple of months, and then go to my brother's cottage for a couple of weeks, and hammer out a first draft. Wow, nice. I don't do a lot besides writing during that time, like laundry or vegetables or anything like that. (laughs) Uh, I also circle and circle. I will usually um, spend my mornings listening to Howard Stern and noodling around with a guitar, and uh, probably get to work around 12 o'clock and try and work till 5. Uh, and when I'm in a project, I try to stick to that routine. I find that inspiring because so many times I hear writers say, I get up at 6 a.m. and write until 8, and then I have breakfast. And as someone who likes to sleep in a little bit, I just can't relate to that. You sound much more reasonable, Jim. I like that. Reasonable. Uh, I, I get up at 6 a.m. And I... Uh, no, I, uh, I, uh, my, my general routine, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be able to be writing a lot of different projects all at the same time, so I have to be very hyper-organized about keeping the ideas for Project A in Project A's bucket, so I have all these different color-coded moleskin notebooks, I've got like 10 of them at once, and so I can look and see the red one is Daredevil, and the, the black one with Kylo Ren on it is Poe, and you know whatever I need to do. So I, I tend to spend a lot of time in the notebooks. I will go to coffee shops and, and bars. I'm, I guess that's very writerly to write in bars. Many writers have written in bars. Uh, and I will, I will do a, a lot of notes phase, a lot of longhand kind of figuring out what I'm going to do. And then when it's time to actually write the script, I will get down to the keyboard and usually not stand up until it's done. So that's anywhere from three to seven hours. I guess I do get up occasionally for things. Potty breaks. Uh, yes. But that's, uh, that's how it works. I'm just going to let him write my books from now on. <laughs> Sounds like he really has it together. 
so I have um, a five-year-old who, at the time I started writing Star Wars, he was four. Uh, and I had an office in our house uh, which overlooked the woods. It was lovely. Uh, but for people who don't have kids, they don't necessarily understand that your children don't really understand that you have a difference between work and home. So um, he would always try to monopolize my attention. He wanted to play all the time, which obviously I would also like to play all the time, uh, which is not conducive to a writing schedule. Uh, and again, people who have kids think you can just close the door. And you're like, well, your child will magically understand. Uh, and he doesn't, because he will like, come up like Bugs Bunny through the floor, <laughs> like on the way to Albuquerque, and demand I come with him. So uh, I had a shed built in the woods, and I call it, I call it the battle shed. Uh, so I literally, like, every day I get up at 6 o'clock in the morning uh, and I wander into the woods like a weirdo. and just like, I'm just going to go up and I just disappear into the trees. Uh, and then that's where the shed is. Either that or that's where, like, I murder hobos or something. I don't know what I write. So I remember our son when he was three walking up to the computer one time and saying, what does this do? Oh. Shutting it off and it hadn't been saved. Um, <laughs> I get up at 5.30 a.m. Oh, my God. Now, I, I tend, to up, tend to get up around 6 or 5.30, or as I'm nearing the end of a book, sometimes 4. I just wake up and I can't get back to sleep. Um, I work pretty steadily through the day. I've got an office. Uh, the, the cats have learned to kind of, you know, nest nearby. Uh, so pretty much a, a routine. I get up, I work. Uh, feed the cats, have breakfast myself, work some more. Uh, when I'm waking up at 4 or 3.30, I do take an afternoon nap um, and just work until I'm done with that, that day's number of words or the brain is just, okay, I can't put anything more on paper, go to bed and start again tomorrow. So you don't really have a, a set word count necessarily. You kind of just go till your brain gives out on you. <laughs> I, I aim for 1,000 to 1,500 a day. I know that's low for a lot of writers. Near the end of a book and when all the plot threads are coming together and the subconscious has worked out all the details, I will double or triple that. Oh, okay. But those, those are the times yeah. I'm getting up at 3.30 in the morning, too. Wow. wow. Um, so speaking of inspiration, what in Star Wars do you find particularly inspiring as a writer? And is there um, a specific scene or piece of music or, you know, just something that you kind of turn to as a, as a touchstone for inspiration, or is it more general than that? Let's... That's the question I didn't want you to ask because <laughs> I could... Uh... I don't know. I, I still I still find the the music itself very inspiring, and I will listen to it. I probably listen to it in a thousand different versions now, everything from rock and roll to symphonic. Um, but I can't think of a specific scene in the movie that I any of the movies that I keep coming back to. Um, my the, for me, it's it's about <clears throat> working within the Star Wars galaxy mythos, whatever you want to say. Uh, in particular, because I grew up with with these stories and. Uh, there was, there was the gap between New Hope and Empire, and, and my dad would tell, would sit us down at bedtime. We were all super into it, and he would tell us bedtime stories that he was just making up about what he thought was going to happen in Empire. Uh, and so we would all sit there and listen, and, uh, and you know, he made up a snow planet, which was very amazing, prescient of him. It was very... Oh. I guess I had a psychic dad. Yeah. Was, was cool. your dad George Lucas? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that would explain a lot, actually. Wow. Um, 
So, so for me, the thing that tends to be inspiring is that now I'm getting to contribute. I'm getting to tell my own bedtime stories, but when all of you are going to bed, I guess. I don't know. That kind of fell apart in the middle of the metaphor. But uh, it's, that's what I, I keep going back to that. These are the stories from my childhood that are now something that I'm getting to you know, continue the cycle, which is very Star Wars-y in itself. You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of inspired Again, having like a tiny person in the house who four years old was when he turned from he had no interest in Star Wars to he had all the knowledge of Star Wars. Like he was like Boba Fett has Mandalorian armor, and I was like, who told you that? <laughs> like, is there a is there like a Star Wars Santa Claus who comes in at night and tells you these things? I think it was YouTube, honestly. I think it was YouTube. Uh, but I'm kind of inspired by him being so excited by it and by seeing sort of how he interacts with this this galaxy and this world. Uh, in a way that I did literally when I was his age. So it kind of just brings it all full circle. And given that so much of Star Wars right now, especially with The Force Awakens, has so much to do with generations, um, and seeing those generations sort of recycle, sometimes not in a healthy way, So, but I'm not trying to live that part out. Uh, but I mean, like, there's such an interesting sort of refreshing component to that generational cycle going on in Star Wars, and then it's happening in my own house, which tells me that maybe like, I'm living Star Wars somehow. Yeah, for me, for me, it's the music. Um, you know, you live long enough, little bits of irony creep into your life. Uh, I started working, writing full-time, trying to make a go of it in 1980. And some of the music that was in my rotation of music to listen to while I wrote were Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Uh, at that point, Jedi wasn't out yet. And I remember thinking as I sat at my desk working, you know, if George Lucas can basically come out of nowhere and become a success, maybe I can too. So it seems to be working. I, um, I tend to make playlists for most of my books I do. Uh, and I do have a Darth Vader playlist, which is just the Imperial March 13 times looped. <laughs> that kind of works. I mean, really, it's a mixture of something that's quite primal and something actually is quite academic almost, but the primal thing is the first movie I saw in the cinema was Empire you know, and this is the weird thing about Vader is essentially writing the intro to my own entry into kind of pop science fiction you know, so there's a there's something very weird in the gut there and the other side of it is very actually the intellectual exercise of it, I sit and study the canon, I tear it apart, I see what's implied, I look for the gaps, you know so it's in some ways the, the puzzle game aspect to it, mm-hmm. so like there's a mixture between something that's really in the gut and something that's all the way up here and it seems to work so far. I really like the music as well. And um, I used to play it being Leia a lot when I was little. But I was 14 when The Phantom Menace came out. And so was Padme. <laughs> and she had all these friends who were like good at fashion and shooting people. And um, that was super inspiring for me. <laughs> so getting to put some of that into Star Wars was fun. Um, and to kind of open it up a bit, I mean, you know, we're talking about what your, you know, specific inspiring tools are for writing, but what is it about Star Wars in general that you think is inspiring for everyone? Because I think that, you know, inspiring is a word that a lot of people would use to describe Star Wars, and that's not, that's not always a word that you hear associated with, you know, a pop culture franchise. So, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's the Death Star, right? I mean, that's, that's inspiring. Emperor, it's all that stuff, it's great. Yeah. You know, Star Wars for me has this component, and it's a really cool way to look at the world. Um, 
in that in most of the stories, a small group of people um, can change the entire galaxy. Um, and that's, phenom- that's just such a great thing for me because sometimes things feel impossible um, and sometimes things feel overwhelming without everybody on your side. Um, but Star Wars sort of teaches you that with the right friends and sort of the, you know, whatever rat, rat trap spaceship you could put together, uh, you can maybe uh, change the galaxy and save the world. Yeah, it, it's, it's a story of love, loyalty, friendship, sacrifice, uh, courage. It's, it's universal themes throughout humanity. These are the things we all want to read about and hear about, what we aspire to ourselves, and it just connects with everybody on the planet, I think. I think it's big enough now that it, um, it almost uh, gives us a, a sense, a historical perspective on the way things, uh, the way things occur. And uh, that even, even small things that you might not pay attention to can end up having a, a huge impact on, um, on historical development. I think also it's super fun. <laughs> Um, I came into it, I came into Star Wars through my older brother, and now I'm kind of like indoctrinating my nephews, and um, I just keep coming back to how fun it is, and all the memories I have, and then I'm like, here's the Sabine mask, let's go play on the trampoline. Lightsabers make a really good noise. Also that. I love that. Uh, I mean, seriously, I mean, it's what everyone says, it's this big... When you're trying to write it, and I don't know how anyone else feels about this, when you're writing it, I'm always trying to analyse, does this feel big enough for Star Wars? When I'm designing an alien planet or a character archetype, I'm thinking, is this as pure and direct and you know, speaks to that aspect, the, the larger Star Wars of it all? And that's kind of what you feel. You kind of know automatically, does it feel like Star Wars or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the kind of that, 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 in, that very small thing you're trying to chase. It's so much the addictive element that brings us all here, I think. There's, there's a template, I mean, just from a formal perspective, there's a template that, that A New Hope sort of established in operatic sci-fi films that didn't really exist to that extent before. I don't even think, I mean, the only thing I can think of that was close to it was maybe, maybe Dune, and I think, I think Dune was before 77, I think. Um, but he, but that has a, it has a very different tone. What Star Wars was able to do was, was bring in the... Um, you know this this adventure element that was really I mean it, it obviously it lifted from Buck Rogers and different things but it, it really was a synthesis of of this type of film experience that just goes up and up and up and up and up and builds and builds to this incredible thing at the end and then it and then it, they did it again but differently in Empire and those two things I think just just locked it in as a sort of sitting in the movie rush that you it's hard to get from from other stuff I mean other people have come close but Star Wars is really a special thing. Um, I think we'd all agree with you on that. Um, So writing Star Wars is obviously a lot of fun, right? Right, authors? It's Mm -hmm. a whole lot of fun. Yes, yes, whatever you say, absolutely. Right? Great. So, um, but I'm wondering what some of the challenges are in it. Um, Karen, you touched on it a little bit when you're talking about, like, whether a planet is is right for Star Wars. And, um, I mean, there's kind of, like, the obvious challenge, which is, you know, working within the continuity and, you know, other stories and the movies. But... I'm kind of wondering, you know, what there is beyond that. Like, do you ever run into a situation where you have a story idea and it's just simply that it's not for the Star Wars galaxy? You know what's hard about it is that everybody else is so good, and now I have to write stories that are hopefully will measure up to it. That is, every time I sit down to write a story, that's always in the back of my mind, like the other people that's who have worked in the Star Wars have, universe. Though. But it is good. It is good. We're all trying to measure up to the first one. I mean, I think there's a sense that you just want to create something that has the, the excitement and the drama of the first film. I think we're always going back to that. 
Even The Force Awakens go back, goes back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something I had trouble with was when you're writing these either action scenes or feeling scenes or whatever, and you're like, I hope whoever reads this is playing a John Williams soundtrack in the background. Like, that would be super useful for me <laughs> if they could just do that while they're reading the book. Because <laughs> I feel like that adds so much to what we see on the screen, and when you try to write it, you're like, imagine John Williams right here. <laughs> Does anyone do that? I'm curious. Does anyone listen to Star Wars music while they read? See, some people do. <laughs> um, so... Let's talk a bit about the fun. So what would you say has been, so far, your favorite Star Wars scene or character to write? Does anyone want to jump in? Um, for me, two, two scenes um, stick out. The first was um, in, in Dark Lord, um, when Anakin was sort of still transitioning to Darth Vader, um, just trying to imagine what it was like for Anakin to wake up in that, in that suit, which was now keep, keeping him alive. So I really enjoyed writing that scene. I also had fun in, uh, in the new Jedi Order, um, just having the Jedi finally be able to take back Coruscant after a long war. Mine's really easy. I mean, I, um, when I wrote the Darth Vader, I have a sun scene at the end of like, Darth Vader 6. That's kind of, oh, I got to do that. And it, it wasn't terrible. You know? and we, it was something I'm incredibly proud of getting to write. You know? So yeah, that was pretty amazing. Writing Darth Vader was fun. <laughs> that's, that's the adjective I always think of for Darth Vader. Yes. Fun. He's kind of perky. <laughs> uh, I got to write Yoda for two pages of the Obi-Wan and Anakin series, uh, which was pretty sweet, uh, although I, I must have rewritten his Yoda speak like 50 times because it's, it's, it's harder than it looks. You think it's easy, but getting, getting Yoda to feel the way he's supposed to feel, because he doesn't always do Yoda speak. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Yes. And it's, it's like the lines that really hit have to be Yoda speak, but yeah. I don't know, do or do not, there's I've run no into try, as, whatever. As an editor, I've run into that sometimes where an author will fall into that trap where every single sentence that Yoda says has that, the backward syntax, but he doesn't always do that. Yeah. See, to go back to the previous question about what's also difficult uh, is kind of the same thing because it goes, you have these beloved iconic characters who are almost concrete in your head. Like, they're not a fluctuating... Uh, a spark, like we know who they are, and so when you, it comes time to write those characters, like writing Yoda, um, the hardest thing to do is to sort of get out of their way. But you have to, because we've all probably been like pickling ourselves in the Star Wars universe for so long that the easiest thing to do is to kind of turn the spigot and let it come out and not overthink it, because um, you kind of know some of these cadences and some of these rhythms intuitively, and then you sort of have to think about them and get them onto the page. But that's also one of the most fun things about it, too, at the same time, is to sort of interpret these characters and to sort of get them onto the page and to try to get them right. And then when a, some, a fan comes up and tells you, like, you actually really did Han Solo well, like, I heard Han Solo in my head as you wrote him, you're like, yes, I can go take a nap now. This is good. And, like, I'm happy. Well, do you, do, you read, uh, do you read your writing back to yourself to hear how it sounds? Yes, and it's embarrassing to myself when I do it, yeah. That's why you're in the woods, right? All of my favorite scenes are super spoilery, although one of them did get a comment from Pablo Hidalgo that said that was really good. Um, But I think my favorite um, character to write was actually a planet, and it was Alderaan, which was awesome. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't know if it's my favorite scene, but it's the one I would most like to see visually, 
it's uh, at the climax of Choices of One. Mara Jade is on this narrow catwalk that's being supported by angled guy wires, and she's being shot at from the, the floor below, and she has to be blocking the, the blaster bolts coming in while at the same time turning off her lightsaber as she passes a guy wire so she doesn't cut herself down. And just having to immerse herself in the forest to do that, I think would make a, a very cool visual. Um, and my next question, Chuck, you touched on this a little bit, is, you know, who's the character you've been most afraid to write or intimidated to write? I mean, I guess Yoda is a pretty good answer to that. But um, as, as an example, I, uh, Claudia Gray told me once that she was really afraid about writing C-3PO. Um, she just was not sure she was going to be able to do it correctly and make it sound authentic. And she finally realized that the secret to writing C-3PO is exclamation points. <laughs> and that everything 3PO says is very, very important and very urgent. And she had never used so many exclamation points in a book as she did for 3PO. So I'm wondering if anyone has similar... That's another character who requires a certain syntax. I mean, yeah. you have to get... He's another character that has to be... Yeah, run properly. I'll tell you, the hardest... Me and Jason both agreed on this, uh, writing Boba Fett. Especially because sure. in a medium which is still and visual, and there's so few lines in the movies, mm-hmm. you, yeah. you feel that you're, you're breaking the character by having him say anything. Right. Um, uh, so like that, that was definitely the one we were most ner- I was most nervous about anyway. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, it's, it's almost lucky for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. That it is comics and it is a visual medium. So you can but, let that do a lot of it for but you. But it's kind of hard that though that it's a visual medium. It's also static, as you can't do gestures right. are very expensive in terms right. of page counts. It's, I had a similar problem with Darth Vader. That's one reason why I introduced people like Afra around him, so she can do all the talking, and then Vader can just stand there and look good. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I was super nervous to write Ahsoka. Um, sure, I think yeah. it worked out okay. I, I think it was just um, because she comes with a voice. A lot of the times, the, this was my first Star Wars book, so most of my other books, the characters don't come with voices. But Ahsoka came with a very definite voice um, that you can see weekly on television sometimes if you're watching The Clone Wars. So it was, that was the challenge for me, was sort of tackling that. Um, I, I mean, Yoda, for sure, but, but I would say even beyond... Uh, just a different type of challenge would be Palpatine, uh, the Emperor, uh, because he's, he's one of those characters, he's an evil genius, and um, writing evil geniuses is, it's not as hard as it sounds, because you know what they're going to do ahead of time, like you know their master plan, but like kind of writing it so it seems as brilliant as he, as he was, and as evil as he was, and, and kind of the, the, the puppet master element of him was, was challenging and intimidating, but I loved it, and I would, I would write Palpatine forever. So, I had a strange challenge in um, Labyrinth of Evil because I was writing about Palpatine and I was also writing about Sidious, but I couldn't allow the reader to understand that they were the same character. 
So it was, was that before, like the reveal. Yeah, it was before the reveal, so uh, it was very interesting trying to oh, depict cool. um, a single character and as two different personalities on the page. Uh, Han Solo is super tricky because there's so much going on in Han the character, right? He's kind of the ne'er-do-well smuggler, but he's also got kind of a secret heart of gold. Uh, he wants to, you to think he doesn't care and that he doesn't know what he's doing, and sometimes he really doesn't know what he's doing, but he's going to do it right anyway. So there's this kind of like swagger versus heart. Versus, he's just this really complicated mix, and to try to sort of get that perfect percentage balance of how Han Solo speaks and interacts with the world is tricky. So it's always kind of like this, you know, how do we get him right? And he's funny. And he's funny. He's very funny and not always intentionally funny. So it's not like he's trying to be funny. He's not making jokes. He's not being shticky. He just is naturally that way. I don't think I've been intimidated by any character per se. The, the, it's more the intimidation of the whole package of can I get a good story that feels like Star Wars and makes all the characters feel like the ones everybody knows from the movies. So it's not a specific, it's just I have general angst rather than specific angst. <laughs> I actually want R2, almost impossible to write. I don't, I, I'm so bad with onomatopoeia. Uh, you know, I just can't... Bleep, bleep, bleep. Uh, yeah, that, that, they're always hellish days. Okay, it's tricky. <laughs> um, and what about, is there a character um, that you have not gotten to write yet that you would really like to... I'm sure you all must have an answer to this one, hopefully. I'm trying to think of a character that I haven't written. <laughs> yeah, that'll be, this will be a little more difficult for some of you. I mean, maybe I'm... Watto, the junk dealer? <laughs> I would like to write Sabine Wren. Does everyone know uh, Knights of the Old Republic? So there is a, just a wonderful droid. Just a, just a delightful droid. Uh, statement, I'm in a room full of meat bags, Master. Uh, so I, 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 will, I will one day write him. Just you watch. We've got one. Look, the whole room, we've got at least ten, we've got ten sales, we're good. You know, you should also all feel free to mention, you know, characters that some of the authors who are present have created as well, because there's certainly some memorable characters there, too. Just saying. I, I have written some Palpatine, but I would like to go back and do some more. He is an interesting character. Charles? I know, I'm just thinking. There's a lot of characters. There's a lot, and I only get to name one, so I don't want to screw it up. And everyone here think I'm choosing the wrong character. Uh, I think it would be pretty neat to write... There's some very interesting unexplored periods of Luke Skywalker's life that would be neat to play with. Uh, and I have never written any Luke, so that would be pretty cool. Probably Luke. I was... As, as someone who's not really a Star Wars writer, um, Luke has always seemed to me like he would be challenging because I think he's someone you really have to strike a delicate balance with. Yeah, I agree you know. with you. I agree with you. Very difficult because... He's the ultimate good guy. Right. Um, you can't take him dark anymore. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he is a challenge. He is a challenge. And he's, he's often very humorless. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. He has to be likable. He has to be heroic, but not perfect. Um, I mean, uh, HK47, what was uh, 
you know, HK47 may have been an influence on some of my characters I've made up, uh-huh. shall we say? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, certainly him. The character I would like to write more of is, like, Leah, who, like, yes. I did a little bit in uh, Vader Down, uh, and I would like to do more of her, because I don't think I, I, you know, I did an okay job of her, but I think I could do it better now. So, maybe more Leah, I guess? Okay. I, I always like to hear more Leah, always. Um... So I'm curious to know what it's like, um, and some of you have had more history with this than others, but interacting with the fans and the readers, I mean, that's certainly um, a part of the experience of being a Star Wars author, uh, whether you like it or not. We're all here. Um, so what, is, what are some of your, you know, what do you like about getting to chat with, with fans? It's great to meet the people who are keeping us in business. <laughs> I, I do feel like you guys embody Star Wars, and um, it's interesting for a writer to um, know his or her audience so well that, um, well, when I'm writing, I'm, I am thinking about you guys and what you would like to read. I like the, uh, there's, uh, again, a lot to like about the fact that you guys like the stuff that we do, but one of the things that I particularly enjoy is, is whoever runs Wikipedia um, is, is incredibly on top of updating it. Like, books will be out on, you know, most of my comics come out on Wednesday, and so the book comes out, and then, like, that afternoon, if I make up a new character, it's in Wikipedia, which is a pretty cool feeling, because that's the Star Wars, like, that's the, the encyclopedia? Yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing, and there is actually a... Uh, uh, I, I made up a character and I named, sort of named him after a, it's just a reference to somebody that I named after a, a good friend of mine. And uh, again, that afternoon I was able to send him the link to Wikipedia saying, look, now you're, you're part of the thing. Uh, which, so that I like, you know, he's going to buy me dinner or something now, which is great. He was like, his reaction was fantastic. But it's because you guys care about this stuff to the degree that you do that I get to have a free dinner now. So, <laughs> so I appreciate it. As long as he's not asking for any of the royalties. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's why I didn't name the character on the panel. I actually had a minor freak out on the Wikipedia when I was reading it once. I was look, going through, and I realized, well, my, someone's already done my story. And I was, oh, no, this actually is my story. <laughs> They've already just updated it. Uh, that was, um, what I most, I mean, everything everyone says, but the breadth of it. I mean, we've got the, the hardcore people, the people like you guys who would come to something like this, but you've also got my mum. You know, and, they, and you've got like, you know, from 25 year olds to like people who are basically dead. You know, you've got the entire of humans, you know, there's such a variety in it, and that's incredibly inspiring. Um, I mean, it's much more than anything else I've ever written in terms of the breadth of humanity. And that's, you know, that's always very touching because it's something I think we do share. I'm, I'm really curious to have Kate answer this question also since her book is not technically is out it? yet, and, you know, you're writing such a beloved character. I know you've had a little bit of interaction. With fans online, I'm just curious what that reception has been like. Well, this is my second event so far, um, but the online stuff has been interesting. I think um, it's I've been paying attention mostly to the people on Tumblr, who seem to be about like 18 or younger, and they're so enthusiastic, um, which is wonderful. Um, and like last week, I was in Texas, and there were kids in my signing line who wanted me to sign action figures and had drawn art and all that kind of stuff. A couple of them cried. It was amazing. That, that's actually the thing, though. The kids, like that generational component, isn't there in the fans too. And so, 
obviously, you know, it's great to meet fans from sort of the top down, fans who are older than me, but also fans who are younger than me. You'll get kids to come up who want the book signed or a poster signed, and they have this sort of warm, excited glow, and I'm like, oh, life hasn't destroyed that in you yet. Let's go with it. Good. This is excellent. Star Wars rules. Hold on to that. Hold on to the little lightsaber in your eyes. So it's, that's really, for me, what's fantastic. How do people react when you say you're a Star Wars writer? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, generally, they want to know secrets. <laughs> They're like, oh, so you know like, everything. Have you ever, have you ever gotten the, did you create Star Wars? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you always answer that yes, right? I mean, obviously. <laughs> yes, I did. Glad you like it. If they, if, they, if they ask if you're a god, say yes. Um, just before The Force Awakens came out, I was telling my parents about my plans to go see the movie, and my mom goes, oh, are you a Star Wars fan? And at that point, I couldn't tell anybody about the book. Um, so I was like, yes. And then Dad went off on this whole thing where I realized he was eventually describing Patrick Stewart, and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's still Star Trek, Dad. That's still Star Trek. So I think basically every time it comes up with family, it's like, no, not the one with Patrick Stewart. (laughs) Except for my brother, who mostly has it together. (laughs) Well, um, I think everyone here has something upcoming from Star Wars that people haven't really had a chance to read yet. So I was wondering if each one of you would like to give some sort of little tease for fans of maybe, you know, something from your upcoming work or what they might like about it. I can, I can start with this. This is, uh, this is Catalyst. Um, essential reading, if you uh, plan to see Rogue One. Yes. Um, it's, it tells the backstory of uh, the central characters in the film, and I think that... Um, by reading it, you'll have a more appreciation for what goes on in the film. Not that the film itself has any uh, deficits or anything, but uh, this will give you much more of uh, a backstory on Krennic, our new evil character, and the Urso family, including Galen, who's a top scientist um, during the Republic years and on into Empire. So I hope you'll give it a shot. So Star Wars Ahsoka comes out on Tuesday, (laughs) which I'm very excited about. Um, And it is, surprise, surprise, the story of Ahsoka Tano. Um, It starts, slight exaggeration, but about 10 minutes before Order 66 comes down, um, which is, you know, some real fun times and adventure straight out of the gate, and uh, then follows her adventures, or lack thereof, afterwards. Darth Vader 25, the end of the run, drops next week, uh, and which is cataclysmic, and I'm really genuinely very proud of what Salvador pulled off with it. Um, the, af- the final Afro Vader scene, um, yeah, apocalyptic is the word I would use. Um, and I, you know, I'm very proud of that. And then there's the new thing launching in December, <laughs> which I can't talk about at all except Kevin Walker is doing some of the most amazing Star Wars art I've ever seen, and there's a character in the first issue who has the best hat I've ever seen in canon. <laughs> I, I generally ask, like, can I have this guy have an awesome hat? Uh, and he gave me a hat. Wow. Let's put it like that. Right. It's like a Death Star hat, the size of a Death Star. 
Um, so, and I'm writing the Poe Dameron series, which is a blast, uh, set in the episode seven timeline, which is very cool. Um, so one thing that's coming up in that that I'm very excited about that I just got greenlit like less than an hour ago upstairs um, <laughs> is that there's a character from, from Chuck's. Have you, you've read the Aftermath books, right? They're fantastic. Okay. So there's a character that, that Chuck is writing named Temin Wexley who grows up to become Snap Wexley. Uh, and Snap has a, a buddy in, in the books, a sort of clanking, you know, right, okay. So, so I'm not going to tell you anything really more than that, because it's pretty cool the way it all works out, but uh, Chuck has been gracious enough to allow me to so possibly figure out a way to integrate uh, that clanking clanker into the, uh, the post story, so... So excited. Um, so first of all, I've got the Force Awakens comics adaptation, uh, which, I mean, you've seen that movie, so that's going to keep doing its thing in comics. Uh, and there may be Phasma in a trash compactor. I'm not saying we're doing that, but wouldn't that be cool? Um, and then there is the third book in the Aftermath trilogy called Empire's End, uh, which, spoiler warning, the Empire ends. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, Jar Jar, he'll be great in it, I'm sure. You'll enjoy that, that chapter. Uh, I have got a book coming out next April. It deals with a brand new character from Star Wars Rebels. Uh, <laughs> This is a prequel. This is going to show how he rose through the Imperial ranks to the point where he shows up in season three of uh, Star Wars Rebels. So it'll be, uh, you'll, you'll see the season and then you can go back and, and find out how he got to where he was. Tim, um, I've got to ask you, so what was it like to, to write about your character uh, from, a, from a new perspective? Uh... Exciting, terrifying, everything in between. Uh, no, it was. Um, they brought me to Lucasfilm last November with this vague, we want to just chat about Star Wars thing. Um, it's very subtle. They were, well, I kept prodding for information. No one was giving me any. So, okay, that come in. Well, Dave Filoni's going to be there. He's blocking two hours of his very busy life for this. What in the world are they going to want to talk about? And then the, the, the clincher came about ten minutes after I got into San Francisco. I was checking my email to, to see if there was anything new, and they said, oh, by the way, there may be a film crew there. Is that okay? <laughs> a film crew at the meeting. What is going on? And then they dropped the, the bomb on me the next day. And um, it was just nothing I would ever have envisioned happening. I never would have expected. I mean, we've, always, we've hoped for years to see one of my characters you know, brought into a movie or TV show or something else, but I never actually thought it would happen. And it was, it's just the most... It's starting to feel real. I mean, for, for 10 months, it's been kind of this this can't really be happening, can it? And then when I saw Thrawn on the TV set in my own house, okay, now I guess it is real. <laughs> so, 
I do want to say that I've seen some of the scripts, and for those people who are worried that they are going to ruin the character, don't. They're doing a very good job. Um, we are actually thinking about getting buttons or shirts made that say, it's Thrawn, you only think you're winning. <laughs> so, but I'm excited to see how it all plays out. I'm very excited to see how all of you like the new character, the new take, both in Rebels and in the book. So I will be nervous uh, until about uh, May of next year. Well, I think we have time for a couple questions, if anyone has any. I'm hoping there aren't mics. I'm hoping this room's small enough that we'll just be able to hear you if you enunciate. So let's start with someone up near the front. Hi. Uh, as you as an editor, are you assigning plots to writers, or are writers coming to you with their plot ideas, or both? And how does that work? It, one, it tends... Uh, one, one, uh, and one other for Chuck. I know you're writing, like, a bunch of different uh, characters all at once. Besides the notebooks, how do you kind of keep track of all that stuff going on, and how do you develop those characters? Um, well, it's, it's hard, but... One of the nice things is that having lived with Star Wars for so long uh, and having seen the movies a zillion times and read the books and done all the stuff like that, I have most of their voices in my head already. And so I can just summon up Lando or Lobot or whoever I need to write about um, fairly. It just sort of snaps in. So I'm, I'm lucky that way. Uh, but the notebooks help too. Um, and as far as your other question, it, it really is both. Um, you know, sometimes we'll have something come up um, you know, a lot of it is we in publishing, we work closely with the Lucasfilm Story Group, um, and we'll talk about what kind of stories we want to tell, um, and, you know, we'll, we'll go to different authors that we think are good for it, but, you know, on the flip side, you know, authors may have ideas, and even, even if we do, like, even if the idea originates at Lucasfilm, it, it then goes to the writer, um, and they really get to flesh it out the way that we want. Um, I hope that the authors would agree with me when I'm saying this. Um, they have a lot of creative freedom to go where they want to go. So it's, it's very much um, comes from all sides. Yeah, I'd like to say to the, I mean, to the credit of Story Group and to the editors, they're they basically saying, like, we have this space for you. Right. There's a fence here, and there's places you shouldn't go outside of, but what happens in this space is, you know, we want to hear what you want to do. We want to hear your story. And so they've been very good about sort of getting, you know, joining with us in a sort of a Voltron-like manner and getting our stories uh, and their stories together. We, uh, we love Story Group, especially if any of them are in the room today. <laughs> yes. And they are. Uh, All right, we've got time for one more question, so make it really good. Who'd you, who'd you got? The gentleman in the white shirt. All right, here you go, sir. I'll throw this out to all of you, but I guess, uh, Tim, you specifically. Um, now that we have lots of backstories that no longer are, are considered canon, and you guys are writing for a lot of those same characters, or talking about places or events, that we all remember how it happened before, do you guys, when you're writing, feel a need to try to stay close to what came before, or do you purposely try to stray some new path? And again, specifically to Tim, since you're doing your own character, that's even more interesting. There have, there have been various things written about Thrawn in this era, but nothing that I've done. I think most of them were in games or, uh, I don't think comics, but mostly computer games and such. So I was told I don't have to, to, uh, to deal with those. 
the way I'm taking, the way I'm approaching this is this is an era I haven't written Thrawn in, so I'm going to take the same character, retrograde him 15 years, and and write him in this era. So I am not trying to make something new. I'm trying to look at a new era in his his life and career. Yeah, I mean, all of those stories have such a great gravity to them. Um, I think every once in a while you sort of let that gravity work and find some things there that are interesting to use. Um, But then at the same time, seizing the opportunity to allow that to be something different and to allow some other new stories to grow up in some new directions. And so I think it's a nice sort of mix of both, the best of both worlds. Yeah, I, it's, I, I think of it as sort of like a Lego analogy, right? You've got a big box of Legos and you're building something new and sometimes you, you use a piece that's already been formed into something and, and other times you just make your own stuff. So it's, it's, I think it's, it's, we're lucky that we have these great ideas that sometimes we get to sort of pull back in if they're, just like Chuck said, if they're available, um, it can be really helpful. But it's also really freeing to, to be able to write new backstory or new forward story for whoever. It's good. All right, so we've got excuse me, a couple minutes left. One of the things I want to talk about um, uh, for you guys and for some of the folks up here is that there are a couple people uh, who aren't here today uh, that I would like to mention. So as you guys know, we have a, a Rogue One publishing plan coming out. Um, we have Jim's book is, is leading the, the charge in November. Um, but we do have a couple other announcements for Rogue One. We made announcements at San Diego Comic-Con and at Celebration. Uh, what we didn't say is that there will be a uh, Jin YA novel coming out uh, in spring of next year, written by Beth Revis. We will have a middle-grade novel uh, focusing on Bayes and Chirrut, written by Greg Rucka. And we will have a junior novel retelling written by uh, Matt Forbeck. So there's some more rogue stuff coming, which is, which is very cool. The other thing that I wanted to mention is next year is the 40th anniversary, if you can believe it, of A New Hope. Um, and so we will be having a curated uh, and cool publishing program against the 40th anniversary. Um, you'll see books coming out from Marvel, from uh, Del Rey, from Disney Lucasfilm Press, from Hachette, some, from several other publishers as well. Um, you, know, you might see some news next week from Marvel by chance, uh, so pay attention. And I'm also uh, very proud to announce that we're bringing in some legendary talent for the 40th anniversary. So if any of you were reading the comics uh, you know, when they first came out and the years following the, the release, um, we're reteaming Louise Simonson, Walter Simonson, and Tom Palmer to tell... Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, to tell a, a, a kid's book retelling of A New Hope um, which will be very, very cool. So look for that uh, early next year. Now, before we go, I see there's people dressed up. Is there anyone dressed as Ahsoka here today? No one dressed as Ahsoka? I have this cool Ahsoka book to give out that isn't out yet. Shame. And we don't have anyone dressed as Ahsoka? Shame. Can you, will, you, will you do it? All right, come on. All yours, then. Let's go. What can you do? Close enough. Here you go. Enjoy. The other thing is, I like giving away books. We don't have a lot to give out, but we do have a couple of new kids' books. So, are there any kids in the audience today? We've got two books. We've got, you're ready, aren't you? Right on. Come on up, buddy. All right, you get the choice. So, these aren't out yet. You get to pick one. You get a Luke Skywalker book or 
a Star Wars trapped in a Death Star book. What are you thinking? Luke, all yours, buddy. Go ahead. There was another... I saw another hand around there. What was it? What? You're very welcome. And this one's for you. Here you go. Enjoy. So with that... Thank you to all of you for coming out. Thank you for reading. Um, thank you to all of the authors up here. Um, you know, we're, we're all really uh, honored to be doing this. We know we're very lucky to be doing this. And we thank you for letting us do this. So enjoy the rest of the show. May the force be with you. And uh, see you soon. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Guys. Hey you guys, I hope you enjoyed the Star Wars Writers Roundtable panel at the New York Comic Con. I had very little to do with it, except organizing with the lovely Maz from Disney Publishing for allowing us to have the feed. Again, make sure you go back and listen to my Hasbro Star Wars interview. I think it turned out great. People seem to be loving it. And in the next few hours, the first part of the Megapod will be up with the Star Wars Underworld and Rogue One podcast for winners, where we all record a bit and you have to chase us around the internet. So I've got the first part, Star Wars Underworld's got the second part, and then Rogue One has got the third part. After that, back on Steel Wars feed, we will have our Rogue One travel reaction with myself and Geek Bomb's Morg Garrett. That is super fun. And then tomorrow, Friday, if you're in America, Friday night, Saturday, midday, if you're on the east coast of Australia, we'll be doing the call-in show where you can call in and come on the podcast and give us your views on the Rogue One trailer with me and Jason Ward from makingstarwars.net and of course the archive of that show will be on this feed so make sure you subscribe on iTunes or on your podcatcher of choice we're on the Google Play Store all that good stuff if you're after some sweet merch we have the very popular Your Snoke Theory Sucks t-shirt and stickers available on steelwars.com as well as the Luke Skywalker Have You Seen Him tribute t-shirt and sticker steelwars.com thank you guys so much I hope you enjoyed it and may that force be with you catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 